favorite Grasslands PR team. Our favorite, hopefully your favorite as well. Uh, this week we're back with another reason why these overlooked and underappreciated ecosystems are objectively the best biome. I'm Rachel. I'm Nicole. And I'm Alan. And I'm here to talk to you guys today about a topic. You already know what this topic is. Nematodes. Well, no, that's part of it. (laughs) (laughs) All nematodes all the time. Well, I don't know if anyone needs to talk. I don't know if anyone wants to listen to a full hour on nematodes. I would. It's broader than that. Okay. Um, Okay. But I want to start before we get into this. Okay. Okay. I asked you guys a question. Oh, God. Something to think about. Tell me what's... A science fact that when you learned it, really just changed the way that you perceived the world around you. I mean, I have one. Okay, great. I want to hear it. I don't change the way I perceive the world is kind of a lot, but um, <laughs> one one of my favorite ones that just kind of weirds me out. Anything to do with the human body, oh, honestly, <laughs> um, but specifically the fact that like. We physically cannot feel the sensation of wet. I don't like it. it the sure. more you think about it, the more. Hang on. Yeah, no, I've heard, right? Because like uh, the neurons in our skin or whatever only feel like Cold, temperature hot. and pressure. Yeah. So like wetness as a feeling is like an illusion or something. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. So like we know things are wet because like they're cold. Usually. I'm really uncomfortable right now. See, it's a weird fact. <laughs> It is weird. Okay, yeah, that's so, a good one, actually. Anything about how the brain works, honestly, is confusing and alarming. Yeah. So that's a good one. Thank you. I accept your offering, Nicole. Thank you. Rachel? Um, I, I think mine is, like, somewhere around the first time I realized just how badly climate change was going to indirectly impact uh specifically arctic birds i guess you know and i was like oh it's not just that they're gonna be like oh it's too warm up here let's go somewhere colder but it was more like oh the timing of when the insects are hatching is not going to align with when their chicks hatch that have a very specific feeding regiment and uh the diets of this species change over time. And it's like, oh, wait, no, just the timing of everything is going to go haywire and we're all doomed. Um, really changed <laughs> my perspective of the world. That's that's nice. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one too, Rachel. <laughs> Maybe a little bleak, but that's okay. I mean, it's valid, yeah. Like mm-hmm. phenology and, you know, yeah. the timing of things is fascinating. Because like, yeah, that it's the way that these relationships are so specifically timed is to like the week or the, you know, a very small period. And yes, it's very easy to get screwed up. Yep. It is grim stuff to start your (laughs) podcast with, but you asked, (laughs) I did ask and it's a valid answer. It's good. Can I tell you mine? Please. Okay. That's what is we're it here that we for, can't right? Feel wet? Yes. Is it no? Is it... it is. We're actually going to just talk about that for an hour. I decided. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, no. Okay. So mine. I heard this probably like ten years ago for the first time. Um. It, when I was working at a nature preserve in Texas, we would do this program, and it was built around this article, um, that was uh. It was way back um, from, like, Chicago Wilderness Magazine or something in, like, 1999, right? This is, like, an old article. But, like, the article was so well done. It was just – it was – they interviewed this this professor at the University of Illinois, Chicago, and he was telling a story in this – in this article about soil, okay? And – the term he used or a phrase he used in the article was that a prairie is an upside down rainforest. Okay. That really stuck with me. The idea that when we look at a grassland, most of the biological activity, most of the biomass, most of the living things are not on top or above the soil, right? They are in the soil. They are beneath the ground. Okay. Mm. 
learning that really like I feel like transforms the way that I look at these habitats since this is like I've lived my whole life in areas that are you know grasslands primarily lived on the Great Plains and so like you know anytime you're looking at that it's really transformed the way that I think about it the way I understand it um so we used to do this, this article, by the way, it was called adventures in the rhizosphere and <laughs> we'll talk about it a little bit more. It was just really well done the way this, uh, this professor told this story. It was kind of that you're reading it and you're like, man, this guy must've been like a really good teacher. Just the way he's like describing <laughs> things. It's like, you know, it was very engaging, uh, and a lot of fun to read. Um, and we'd use that, we'd reference that, uh, when we were taking kids to go do some basic kind of soil science um, experiments, right? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We are going to be talking about soil. The rhizosphere. The rhizosphere, yes. And we're going to uh, think very hard about dirt. Okay. I'm okay. Ready. You know, with all the schooling I had at K-State uh, about wildlife management and ecology and ecological stuff, we never did anything with soil. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Never? Never. You know? I never have either. Really? That is, okay, that is concerning. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and actually, we'll be talking a little bit later in the podcast about why that might be an issue. Okay. Why that might have um, happened or why it's extra bad? Well, because there's a lot of wildlife management and a lot of, you know, a lot of prairie restoration that people are trying to do. Mm-hmm. But, well, okay, let me, let me phrase it differently. Um, that's concerning because it's such a huge part. It's a a very essential part of the ecology of the habitats we're trying to protect or trying to restore. Uh, I feel like it's crazy to not have a fundamental understanding of soils. Right. I think it, when students go into like the biology track, soils typically get lumped into geology. Yeah. Um, that's my impression, too. They also might get pushed over kind of to, like, College of Agriculture a bit more, yeah. you know, since mm-hmm. um, people are primarily concerned with the functionality of soils and the viability of soils more so than, um, you know, some of the other aspects of it. So I guess it's understandable how people who are biologists study living things maybe are just ignoring this. Is it understandable? It's understandable, but it <laughs> doesn't mean it's defensible, I guess. Okay, you know okay, what okay. I mean, right? Yeah. Sure. Like, um, I, I would say if you are, you know, if you are definitely if you're a student who's interested in biology, you should go out of your way to take a soil science elective. Like, I ended up doing that in college because specifically at this nature preserve I worked at, we used to do these soil programs. And I was like, this stuff is crazy. I want to take a class on this. Okay. Um, yes. So I would recommend doing that. Um, and if you're just, you know, if you're just, if you have an interest in biology, then yeah, this is a topic that should interest you as well. Um, so we're going to dive into that. I have a soil fact for you. You have a soil fact? Yeah. All right. Hit me. Um, a can lot soil of... feel wet? <laughs> I don't know if soil can, but a lot of the things inside the soil can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like wormies and like crustaceans, like isopods. Cool. And bugs. I didn't mean to hijack your fact. Go ahead. I mean, that's it. That was my fact. That some things in the soil feel wet. Oh, for real? <laughs> Wait, like, oh, they legitimately feel wet. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah okay, yeah, yeah. not like the fake way that we do. No, 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 no. They, yeah. have, they have the correct receptors to feel wet. I can't believe and that like was your us. actual soil fact. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, how do you know okay. that? <laughs> not the soil itself, but the things yeah. inside of it. Yeah. I know, yeah. Mm-hmm. The mesosphere. We talked mesofauna. about Mesofauna. Mesofauna. Yeah. Yes. Well, and that makes sense because a lot of the soil organisms have adapted from aquatic organisms Mm -hmm. and they need to exist. To exist in a soil environment, you need to be able to detect like very thin films of water that might exist in the interstitial space in Mm -hmm. soil. So it's, you know, to actually survive and find you know, liquid water, you probably do have to be able to sense it pretty adequately. Yeah. So yeah, that is an interesting fact. Thank you. That's all I got. 
Good stuff. <laughs> before before we go into uh, talking about the soil ecosystem, though, I did, um, especially since my co-host, it sounds like, haven't really done, haven't done like a soil science, like, you know, you haven't had this, like. Why are you? What? Continue. So Since my co-hosts are real dumb, I have oh, to really right. break this down. Well, I'll, I'll go back no, and rephrase it. Perfect. No, no, it I'll was go. perfect. Please continue. It was just funny. Uh, since, since, we, since, since we might need just to like touch on some basic stuff about soil science before we go into talking about the soil ecosystem mm-hmm. and what are some of the consequences that that has for conservation. Okay. Okay. So we're going to talk about three things just to understand soil science in general terms. Okay. okay. The first thing is that soil is not only superficial. We're not talking about just the the few inches of soil that might sit under your lawn, okay, outside. Soil scientists actually look at the full profile of soil. So we're going down past the that superficial layer, which you would call topsoil, right, into like deeper subsoils and substratum and then down into the actual bedrock, the material from which all the soil originally forms by weathering, erosion, and other processes, right? So you're looking straight from like the the top, the very top surface of the of the environment that you're in, all the way down to the feature that is solid rock. That's everything that they're considering soil. Um, so they actually like break that into horizons, uh, typically. So, uh, and this was a part of that soil science class was actually, uh, going out and digging a hole. Okay. <laughs> this is like one of the labs we did. We needed to go out and wherever we were, we had to like pick a random like survey spot and dig a hole there. And, uh, not just like a little hole, like it had to be pretty deep. Okay. Shia LaBeouf deep, um, like holes. measure it with your shovel. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think I probably dug like four feet down. Oh, um, um, yeah, it was yeah. weird. It's like a uh, hole's hole. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like you had to like get in this hole and do measurements um, to to see what the soil horizons were and like their depth and you know take some uh, do some observations qualitatively about them and that sort of thing. Uh, so the t- very top layer of soil they call that an O horizon. That's just like the organic stuff, like the stuff that's like mm, little bits of dead stuff, <laughs> uh, dead leaves, you know, things like that, like. Sometimes it's just called humus, right? Okay. The stuff that's actively breaking down on the surface. Uh, that's what you call your O or your organic horizon. Then below that, you have your topsoil, okay? Uh, what they would call the A horizon. And it goes down from there to B, which would be like uh, subsoils, which is is a little bit uh, – it's not very fertile. Like there's not a lot of biological activity happening down there, but there is still a lot of – uh, chemical activity, right? There's a lot of parent, you know, the like the parent rock and stuff down there. Uh, and then you would go further down into that, into like a substrata. So these soil like layers, they interact with each other, right? It's not just like all like a top down thing. Okay. There's like things that come up because plant roots are, you know, moving things. Uh, up to into higher layers of soil, um, groundwater, right? Things are like, uh, you know, salts and stuff in the groundwater get absorbed by plant roots and brought back up into the soil. Uh, rainwater and things like that leach things down further into the soil. You have the soil compacting and forming tighter layers and changing over time. There's really like, there's there's a lot going on. Okay. So that's why it's important to look at the whole thing, right? Um down to like the actual geological features that are underlying the whole thing. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one important note about soil. Um, and so all of that like movement is how you mentioned the parent material, like eroding. Mm -hmm. And I was having a hard time imagining how that could happen when it's like literally so far underground, but it's because there's all that interaction still happening. Yeah, there is like the soil, (laughs) the soil turns over over time. Right. Um, And we'll talk about that in a minute, but like the actual processes of soil, because they are constant and they are ongoing. Right. Okay. Um, It's not like soil is not just a static thing. It is changing. Um, But since we talked about, the, the, this brings us to the second point first, which would be the diversity of soil. And this this part is very difficult. Like, okay. 
<laughs> soil taxonomy is a thing. Oh. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this or if, like, I know, like, most dirt feels kind of the same. Like, you know, if, we, if you drive around, it's like, oh, there's some, like, reddish dirt. Ooh, there's some, like, black dirt, you know? Okay. I know we have, like, a state dirt or something. Yeah. We do. It's called the Harney Soil Series in Kansas. Um, and a soil series is basically, like, a species of soil. That would be, like, the species level in their taxonomy. Okay. Uh, do soils evolve? I'm sorry. <laughs> do soils evolve? Kind of, yeah. I mean, well, they do change, right? Uh, on a... On a scale not unlike, I guess, uh, evolutionary time, because we're talking about geologic processes here. So, yeah. So. That's fun. <laughs> the, uh, if we're talking about uh, the taxonomy of soil, it, it they like the levels of it. A, ser a soil series would be like a species. At the very top, you have orders of soil, and it goes down into suborders, great groups, subgroups. <laughs> families and series just kind of like we go from like you know uh kingdom all the way to genus uh -huh. and species right great groups great groups <laughs> that's cute how many species or series of soil <sighs> do you think exist in the united states 400 good guess I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with 600. 600. 19,000. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> 19,000 species. The series of soil. Um, that makes more sense. It's it's wild. Okay. Uh, the U.S. Soil Survey, which is something that you can go and look. You can actually look up the exact kind of soil that you have at your house, at the park you like to go to, at you know whatever property you you know live near. Um, you can look that soil up and get the complete breakdown of it. It's crazy. Wow. The amount of time and effort that has been dedicated to people thinking about soil is wild. That is insane. <laughs> I was just like realizing how, I mean, like it's, it's one thing to catalog bugs, but like to, to go around the entire country and mm -hmm. dig dirt and catalog dirt. Yes. 19,000 dirts. 19,000 dirts. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's really crazy. How do you identify? You know what? We don't need to talk about no, the No, we will talk right about now. that, oh, actually. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yes, 19,000 soil series in the United States. Right here in Central County, Kansas, which is where we are recording this podcast, we have 86. Wow. Okay. 86? At, at the park we like to go to sometimes, Pawnee Prairie, they have nine different kinds of soil. What? Wow. Yeah. What? And it makes sense, right? Like, um, it, the way if you look at the Soil Series website, like you know, uh, when we go to that park, there's like a little, there's a little grassland, there's a little prairie section, uh, with some like horse trails on it that you walk through first. Different soil type than when you get back to the area with the creek where the woods begin. Okay, mm -hmm. different soil types. Um, if you're specifically wondering, just because of all the stuff that's alive on it, that's part of it. Yeah. So the these different so, different kinds of soils obviously support different kinds of plant communities, um, and will uh, that based on their composition, right? Is the soil supporting the plant communities, or is the plant communities just changing the soil? Mm -hmm. Both. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that like the prairie soil, the species of it, it's nylum loam. Okay. Loam is a great word. Yeah. Um, love love it when things are described as loamy. Uh, <laughs> but, like, if you were to look at the soil series, like, on the website, like, they will actually break this down, just showing uh, my co-hosts how, like, it is broken down by profile. Like, at this depth, this is the kind of composition that it has, going all the way down 80 inches into the soil. Um, what is it, loam? What is loam? That is a loam is a in in this context is a textural term. I feel like in general it's used as like a um uh just loamy kind of means just means like 
you know, I, I feel like it just is synonymous with dirt, like in language, but it okay. actually is a specific textural term in this. Okay. Um, because there's a thing called the soil texture triangle. Oh my god! <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. Um, and this. I, oh. <laughs> yes. So this is something uh, that is just a very used for very general classification of soils, right? Um, basically, it takes a look at three different types of particles: sand, silt, clay. Um, Sand particles are very large, okay, relatively speaking. Uh, silt particles, kind of intermediary. Clay particles, very tiny, okay, very, very tiny, like uh, fractions of millimeters small, okay. okay. Um, the ratios that you have of these different particle sizes in soil affects a lot of different things, right, from the amount of water it can retain, um, how easily it drains, uh, how well it holds on to minerals and nutrients and things like that, Um you know, how easy is it for plant roots to penetrate deeply? How stable is it? Okay, all of these factors um, matter when we're talking about the soil texture. So they generally classify things just using those three uh, ratios. Okay. Yes. And that uh, particle size, not like what it's made out of? What it's made out of is also important, but the particle size is it yeah is is a huge okay. huge element of it okay so when they're talking about oh something is a clay it means it's made up of mostly very tiny very very weathered very highly eroded tiny soil particles okay. that are really sticking together yeah okay. yes like you could form pottery out of them <laughs> yeah. right yeah so okay. like um in our state in kansas uh we have kind of a gradient of soils you get very clay soils uh out um in the eastern part of the state, you get very sandy soils on the western part of the state, which, you know, okay. and you see a difference in, like, the kinds of plant communities we have. It's very woodsy out in the east. You get tall grass prairies. In the eastern part, you get short grass prairies in the western part of the state, right? Mm -hmm. Mixed grass in the middle. Um, there was a... Probably the most mind-numbing field job I've ever had <laughs> was an experiment where they were looking at how the root biomass is different in these soils. And so I was hanging out with a bunch of dirt, like <laughs> like uh, hundreds of soil cores. I think I did 800 some <laughs> soil cores, processed them, uh, which basically meant you were taking them and rinsing them through filters to try and get the root biomass out of it and filter it down. But the like, you know, breaking, breaking down these soil cores would be very different because if you have like a hunk of clay, it's very hard to like rinse all that out. Okay. This, yeah. But some of the soils would just like completely crumble in your hand and nothing. You wouldn't even hardly need to filter it. Right. Uh, so the texture is very different and makes a huge, uh, makes, has huge consequences for, um, yeah, the, the plants and that sort of thing that are, that are going on with it. It makes sense, but like clay being small particles and like sand being big particles comparatively mm -hmm. is just weird to think about. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Like that's, yeah. Geologically how they're defining like, what is a clay? Like it's the same, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's the it same is. material. Largely. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's from the same. <laughs> so, it's, you know, it's, uh -huh. it's just in a different state of how weathered it is. Right. And silt is in between. Yes. Yeah. So you got like small, medium, large. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 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 What is, how, how deep are those soil cores? Like I don't, I've, as somebody who's never seen a soil core. Yeah. Um, these were, they were probably about a foot deep. Okay. So yeah, we were just looking at like the top layer of the root biomass there. How wide? How, what's the diameter? Like Coke, Coke okay. can size. Yeah. Okay. It's not so bad. No, just had several f entire fridges full of soil. <laughs> refrigerators yeah soil. we want to keep it you don't want that you know you don't want it to, the roots to decay oh yeah you yeah, know because yeah. you're trying to measure it yeah you got to keep your nematodes moist yes you sure do <laughs> guys that was such a that job was it was kind of meditative in a way because you're just uh -huh. like i'm just handling dirt all day long but also <laughs> dang was it mind-numbing it was hardcore boring sometimes yeah. <laughs> i listen to a lot of podcasts good um so yeah soil is incredibly diverse um you, like you know obviously uh and the exact textures the exact materials the slope of the soil the you know other other features near the soil have 
big implications for what that soil can support and what it might be used for. Okay, so that's why they study all this. That's why they need to know this sort of thing. Um, before we move on from that, I did want to say, mention briefly the 12 soil orders because they are like, they're so different. Like this is like the big classification, right? Because um, there's some fun ones, right? Okay. Like there's... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm, uh, I feel like I'm, uh, this is very nerdy to talk about. I love it. That's um, the point of all of this, you that's, know? You're like, right, you're, you're right. fully in the vein uh, of what's okay. important. <laughs> but like, okay, for example, there, there are 12 soil orders. Um, one of them is called andosols, okay? Um, ando being the Japanese word for black, okay? These are very dark, extremely rich soils. Um, the key feature of that soil order is that they are from volcanic material, okay, okay. Um, which gives it a very – like. and there's a lot of grasslands that have, like, andosol soils that are very, what? very unique, like mm -hmm. um, the uh, like the Paramos in uh, uh, South America, like up in the Andes. Okay, those come from, like, volcanic – you know, the soils there were formed by volcanic processes originally. Okay. So they're super nutrient rich. It's like crazy, crazy dark soils uh, with lots of very specific, you know, volcanic minerals in them that give uh, rise to a very interesting ecosystem. Um, another one that I really like is gelisols. Uh, Soil people have the weirdest names. I'm just going to throw that out there. Well, the, so this one comes from like, okay, the, uh, do you guys know what the word gelid means? This was a word that was used in, oh, um, I feel in like I should. the... Uh, the fifth season a lot. I know, they yeah. They use the word gelid <laughs> Geladon, over and over again. Yeah, I'm ashamed to admit that I don't know what this means. It's okay. It, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I had to look it up the first time I heard it because I was like, that's so weird. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it means ice, icy. So oh. gelisols are soils that actually have permafrost in them. Oh. So these are like, you know, high latitude uh, tundra type soils where the actual freezing processes inside them is playing a role in turning that soil over and changing the way that it is structured. Interesting. Yeah, yeah that's really neat. Um, the ones that are typically identified with grasslands, though, is a soil order called mollisols, which would mean <laughs> soft soils, right? Like mollifying. Okay. You got mollisols, which are the, the you know what we think of as very dark and very fluffy um, kinds of soils that are, you know, uh, perfect for uh, uh, deep-rooted grassland plants. Um, they're kind of special because uh, of this, like this this huge layer on top um, called an epipedon, which um, the soils that we have on grasslands form a specific kind of like they aggregate in a very specific way because of the types of particles that are in them, which makes them very fluffy, which makes them very good for grass, um, not so great for you know other kinds of plants necessarily um okay yeah good to dig in good to dig in exactly um okay so those are some some soil orders okay so soil is very diverse that's point number two soil is not just superficial number one soil is very diverse number two number three is just that the soil processes are very slow they are constant and they are complex when okay. you say soil processes do you mean like the geologic stuff i mean all of it right so this isn't just geological stuff um because there are uh it's you know it's that's part of it the weathering okay but also the way nutrients cycle in the atmosphere is part of it. Uh, biological activity on the ground and beneath it um you know the movement of water okay and and air right um all these things are contributing to the way a soil forms uh how long do you think it takes to create soil Sixteen thousand. Sixteen thousand years. years that would create a lot of soil for like an inch of topsoil it takes about 500 years okay to form that's a lot okay like that's a very um that kind of puts in perspective the 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 pace at which these processes are happening are so slow that it really puts in perspective how valuable of a resource soil is mm -hmm. to be able to like push your finger into the ground just up to like the first knuckle and you've like pushed through 500 years of 
geologic processes. Good grief. Right? <laughs> um, you know, when people talk about soil erosion being yeah. a huge concern, like once that topsoil is gone, once it is degraded, once it is, you know, it poses a huge, huge issue because it is not easy to get back. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, Rachel. Um, should we be concerned about the fact that you can just buy bags of topsoil? Where does that come from? From the store. Stolen from somewhere. Where do yeah. bags of topsoil come from? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Is that, should we be concerned about that? Um, maybe. I actually don't know where like a lot of like large, uh, like the box store kind of, you know, topsoil bags. I don't know where that's sourced from. I'd be interesting to know. Is it possible to manufacture it? Um, I mean... You can compost things, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean that, and that is essentially what you're doing by composting is manufacturing soil, um, in in sort of a very quick way. Uh, ma- you know, manufacturing like an organic, uh, functional organic layer of soil. Mm-hmm. Um, but you said that the organic layer was a different layer from the topsoil layer. Yeah, it is. It is. They're <sighs> very closely connected. Like that's a, but that's that's that really is a great question. Like uh, because some of these things do come from like uh, a lot of people will use um, add sphagnum or peat moss to uh, their gardens, mm-hmm. and that you know um, if that's harvested from peat bogs, like that is not a very sustainable resource right yeah. that is yeah. that is not you know that is again something that takes a long time to accumulate mm-hmm. uh, and once it's gone it's just going to be gone yeah. um so uh yeah there's a lot of there there are some probably some pretty unsustainable practices in terms of how soil is like bagged up and stuff yeah. there's better always you know better options uh when you're looking for compost and things like that uh that are going to be more sustainable mm-hmm. I know like river rock and stuff is literally harvested from rivers and like there'll be like turtle eggs and stuff in it. Mm. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> Don't think about it too much. All okay. Right. Oh God, um, it's too late. <laughs> Wait, but isn't that like, oh my God. So I, this is feeling like the soil version of cultivars for me where now mm-hmm. I'm wondering like mm-hmm. how much are we contaminating soils by just dragging soils all over the country in bags and dumping them wherever we want? Yeah, that's another great question. Yeah. Um, and uh, Are soils going extinct? Is that possible? So there is some concern about um, like, you know, people when people are talking about soil conservation and soil erosion, uh, there is a concern of like, are, you know, do we have a limited number of times left in which we could, you know, cultivate and harvest this soil before mm-hmm. we have essentially exhausted it? Um, and it's a legitimate question. It's, it's, you know, there are people who I think trend more alarmist or pessimistic about it. And there are others who are maybe <laughs> Rachel's pointing to herself. <laughs> uh, and there, there are others who are maybe, um, yeah, have a, have a, have a more, um, a more relaxed view of it. I, I, I don't know, it, but it's, um, it's definitely a concern. I think it's, that is one of the questions that uh, soil scientists do attempt to answer through their study. Um, but yeah, because these processes are so slow, um, there are things that are involved. Uh, you know, we talked about ice, uh, being potentially involved in some soils. Like there's all sorts of stuff that you would, that is, uh, involved in soil development that you wouldn't think about necessarily. Um, even like lightning, lightning, uh, basically blows nitrogen up. <laughs> In the atmosphere, Um, it'll blow up like, uh, uh, um, oh, what is it? I forget. But it, oh, okay. So nitrogen, like it blows nitrogen atoms apart. And so they bind with oxygen. So when there's lightning, uh, it's going from the little, it's a little diatomic form, little N2 splitting apart. And then it's binding with oxygen and becoming a nitrate. Oh, yeah. And then that washes into the soil and then stuff in the soil turns the nitrate into ammonium, mm. which is fertilizer. Mm-hmm. Like you go, like when people are fertilizing, they're using ammonia mm-hmm. to fertilize. And then that oh, is yes. getting okay. pulled up into plants and things like that. Because lightning yes. fertilizes... I you have said that before. Have said that before. You have said that again. Yeah, we're yeah. just in a different context now. No, so no, it's okay. My brain couldn't reach it. Would... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so all that stuff matters. Um, you know, all all those factors contribute. 
uh, to the eventual breakdown and formation of soil. It just takes a very long time and it's always happening. Um, one of the more, one of the faster elements of like soil formation though, and uh, uh, in the way the structure changes is caused by the living stuff though. Okay, by the plant communities, by the animals themselves. Uh, and so that brings us into what is the most interesting part of this for me, which is the soil ecosystem, right? Uh, because there is so much going on out there. Um, the, uh, the book, uh, the book Prairie by Candace Savage. Okay. Um, which yeah, I've got a copy of it right there. Uh, it's a really good primer on some of this stuff, right. Uh, on, uh, just the, the way grasslands are structured. Um, she does a great, um, kind of overview of the soil ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'll be talking about that just a little bit, uh, but also that article, that Adventures in the Rhizosphere. Yeah. The reason I love it so much is because they they start you out, like they're like, okay, we're going to like shrink ourselves down to like, <laughs> in, like a micron and we're going to start in the dirt and we're going to like explore this ecosystem from like teeny tiny and magnify it out, right? That's so great magic school bus energy. That's yeah, that's what yeah. I'm talking about. I love it. Okay. So um a okay, so let's let's start out. Let's kind of take that journey then that uh you know that rhizosphere journey. Okay, so we go down, we start at teeny tiny as bacteria sized. Okay. Um Soil bacteria, incredibly abundant. Uh, if you take like, uh, it's it's typically said that if you take a teaspoon of a grassland soil, there is like 5 billion living things in it, okay? Cool. Which is hard to wrap your head around, right? Uh, but the uh, a lot of it is bacteria down there. Um, oh, yes. Something up. You're squishing oh, the squishing. bacteria. Oh, you're squishing yourself down. <laughs> 5 yes. billion animals at once. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that bacteria is constantly, uh, you know, breaking down living things, uh, consuming stuff, um, excreting stuff. Okay. <laughs> and it helps to create like a film that helps soil aggregate nice. the sheer amount of this bacteria that exists on plant roots. It exists on dead stuff, uh, exists in the water down there. Uh, all that bacteria, you know, helps promote like the way soil like sticks together, it creates like a, like a living glue for soil, um, which is kind of gross, but also very important. <laughs> right. Um, if you, it, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, some of that bacteria in soil also does, uh, more for, um, like the actual chemical composition of the soil too. Um, like legumes I have something called nitrogen fixing bacteria. Yeah. You, you, you yes. guys, you, you're familiar they with that term. They have nodules on their roots. So. The nodules. Yes. <laughs> uh, the nodules, like, yeah, they host a bacterial infection, right? <laughs> um, Oh my God. When you put it that way, that's very weird. It's like, they've got permanent pimples. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah. It kind of is though. Um, but it's a good thing, right? Uh, cause those bacteria, they like actually, they put, uh, like, you know, some of those, like those nitrates, like they will, you know, consume that and put that into the soil as ammonia. So like, it's, it's really important to have this bacteria doing this stuff like all the uh -huh. time, just because they're constantly changing the chemistry of the soil. Okay. It's a good thing. It's weird yeah. and it's yeah. cool. Okay. It's sticking it all together out there. Oh. Uh, Okay, so that's like the base of the soil ecosystem would be all the bacteria. You've got stuff that eats the bacteria. Then you've got amoebas uh, and some other like protozoa that would consume the bacteria. And um, that that sort of helps shape the uh, shapes the community of it as well. Um, going up a little bit larger than that, uh, you would have uh, – you would start to have things that um, – wait – um, dial that back first of all mm -hmm. um another big thing that you have in there is the fungus happening in soil right oh yeah because yeah. <laughs> uh uh 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna try to talk about fungus without bringing up The Last of Us. Um, <laughs> you, you don't have I, to. You I, have to. It's so. It's too closely associated for me now. Uh-huh. Uh, but you've got. Um, obviously, you've got lots of plant plant roots in the soil, and you have mycorrhizal fungus, mm-hmm. um, which. We've talked about before, um, if you're not familiar with what mycorrhizal fungus is, this is basically fungus that um, symbiotically exists within these spaces in between the cells of plant roots, right? It is like what we call it, what they call arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi, right? It, it is like, has such a, has a close symbiotic relationship with it's most plants in the world i think i mean probably some plants are better at like using that than others i feel like but yeah yeah so there's a lot of it in there and that fungus uh helps draw stuff out of the soil draw nutrients out of the soil and feed it to the plant basically that and the plant uh it feeds off sugars from that the plant is producing Mm -hmm. so it is a very very tight like mutualistic relationship between fungus and plant uh one couldn't exist without the other um but there's stuff that exists in the soil to feed on both of them right to feed on the fungus to feed on the bacteria to feed on the plant roots uh nematodes would be a big one of that right Uh, a big example of that these are like multicellular creatures like some of them have like a very like they're very very tiny some of them are microscopic some of them have like 100 or 900 cells or something like that um but the sheer number of them is insane Collectively, like if you took a pasture, though, this is something Candace uh, Savage says in her book. If you took a pasture, uh, you know, of, uh, you know, and had a herd of cattle on that pasture, uh, the nematodes are going to be consuming plant material at a rate twice that of the cattle. Okay, just what? through the constant collective action of these tiny microscopic worms just nibbling little bits teeny tiny (laughs) teeny tiny bites on plant roots and fungus right they're just the amount of like subsurface grazing that they're doing and breaking stuff down and putting you know decomposing organic matter is insane yeah i thought they ate bacteria Some of them do. So there are carnivorous nematodes. There are like nematodes that eat fungus. There are nematodes that eat other nematodes. There's fungus that eats nematodes. (laughs) (laughs) There are like, there are fungi that will like strangle nematodes to death and consume them. Oh my, Um, what? Yeah, yeah. It's weird. Um, There are plants that will just go out of their way to kill nematodes. They're like, they're nematocidal plants. They'll like put in, like they'll put chemicals around them to like murder nematodes. Um, there's just like a whole constant struggle for existence happening in dirt. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, so that's like the really small stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. If we go bigger, the way they described it in the article is like, okay, we're going to go from like a bacteria, like being a micron to being like a millimeter. So we can look at, at some of the larger, uh, like hexapods and things like that. Okay. Wait, the nematodes were still on that micron level? They're real tiny, yeah. Oh, my God. They're a little itty-bitty. They're like 100 cells or 900 cells yeah. or something. Depends yeah. on the species. Not very many cells. There's so many species of <laughs> yeah. nematode, too. There's like thousands of species. Is there more nematodes than dirt species? Yeah, there there might be like millions of species of nematodes. Dang. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so let's uh, – so going up into that uh, – that's – like millimeter size, right? So this is the like uh, the size difference that they they he visualizes is a, like an ant to an aircraft carrier. Okay, <laughs> so that's how large we've like grown. Okay, we're now looking at things uh, called um, springtails, which are a very oh. fun little deal. Oh, um, if you had a any given square meter of uh, prairie soils, the top foot of that might contain anywhere from uh you know 10 to 15,000 little springtails. Okay, they're very abundant. Yeah. But these are like little dudes that they're they're hexapods, so they're not 
insects, but they are six-legged, and they have like a little thing under them. They have like a little tail underneath them. And when they get alarmed, okay, <laughs> they like fill that tail with fluid, and it's like hitting the ejector seat. It's like, and they fly <laughs> off, right? Um, like people's like when people turn over compost piles, I guess, then you can like see a lot of like yeah. springtails like popping out there. Like, <laughs> little tiny little tiny bb's um they uh they feed on a lot of stuff um they're they're uh, like detritivores as well um you've also got tardigrades in there okay which are very fun um people might be familiar with what those are uh sometimes they're called water bears because they are like very like they're big like husky yeah little little bumbling little friends yeah little chonky dudes uh with uh with eight big legs and like a like a snout snout snout, like a sucker um they're just down there drinking plant juice you know um (laughs) but they're uh they're famous for being um cryptobiotic sometimes what is what does that mean that's a fancy word for saying is it alive? Is it dead? We don't know. It's kind of it's, cryptic. It's cryptic, right? Uh, because they'll like um, they're adapted to survive in aquatic environments, right? But uh, when that water goes away, they desiccate the bodies completely and shrivel up into like a little thing called a tun. T u n a tun, uh, and it, for. It appears to be not alive anymore, but then when you put it back in water, it's like, mm, this tardigrade is fine again. Uh, like, it's, it's it's just a weird thing about them. Yeah. Uh, I think they've... They like, sent them to space. They've sent them to space, yeah. They can survive in extreme cold and extreme heat. Uh, and it's also, like, for decades. I think, like... I can't remember if... It, but, like they've taken like centuries old plant material or century old plant material rehydrated it and then looked and then it's like there were tardigrades on it <laughs> that were now alive that were now alive again <laughs> it's really bizarre <laughs> like wow. the survivability of these things it's very fun um if we then go bigger than that okay talk about some of the uh predators mm-hmm. of the soil ecosystem uh and uh this is what, um, yes, Rachel. We've already had predators of the soil ecosystem. I know, but these are like the meso predators. <laughs> okay. This is like this is like this is what in the article they talk about as being like the T Rex of the soil ecosystem. <laughs> okay, like okay, okay. We're talking about mites. Whoa! Oh, <laughs> yeah. so okay, tiny itty bitty little you know arachnidy uh, chelicerate things, right? Yes. Um. Okay, incredibly abundant um, in like in that same you know square meter of soil, you might have sixty thousand mites that are going after little things like springtails and you know tiny worms and stuff like that, just chomping it up. Um, the reason the like the guy described them as T Rexes is because like the the state that they'll leave that mites will leave other things in resemble like fossilized like t-rex kills like, oh, like you know they're just like chopping uh, through things wow uh, down there okay um you've also got some other fun uh predators down there like pseudo scorpions um these don't have tails right they don't have a little stinger but they do have pinchers that are venomous and so they'll snatch what? they'll snatch little spring tails the and then, pincers are no, venomous no, no, no. yeah Pseudoscorpions are super cool. Wow. I saw saw a picture on Reddit where someone just had a pseudoscorpion crawling across their keyboard. And I'm like, wow. (laughs) How damp is your house? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) There are some things you don't want to see in your house. Well, as you know, it's impossible to feel how wet something is. So he probably did not know. He didn't Mm -hmm. know. You Mm -hmm. wouldn't know. How could you know? Um, oh my god and then uh we'll go back to the like up to the the larger creatures of the soil ecosystem larger than a t-rex larger than a t-rex <laughs> you have 
ants, <laughs> which is weird uh, because we were just being like, okay, we've gone from an ant to an aircraft carrier, and now we're talking about the biggest thing being an ant. Okay, yes, so, yes. Uh, but the ants are hugely important, uh, and um, also earthworms. Okay, these are some of the larger soil organisms, some of the uh, like macro invertebrates that you're going to find in a soil ecosystem. Um, that are hugely important because of the way they move the soil, the way they transport soil. And crayfish, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, they, uh, in the book, um, they mentioned that Aristotle called earthworms the intestines of the earth. Nice. Cool. Which, which is a <laughs> kind of a gross thing to think about. Um, but they produce their own weight and droppings every 24 hours. Nice. Oh. And worm castings. So that's, that really enriches the soil. Um, that is like the intestine of the earth. Yeah. 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 They're just constantly digesting, constantly decomposing things and, hmm. and putting it back out in a, in, you know, in, in carbon that other things can utilize. Um, so yeah, it's, it's hugely important. Um, the ants also very active, uh, the way that they, you know, alter the structure of soil. Um, it's estimated that ants, uh, through their activity, will turn over the top uh, two feet of soil. Okay, so that whole topsoil layer, ants will turn that over every hundred years or so just by being ants. Okay, so moving, that's how much earth they're moving. Literally the top two feet of the whole ecosystem, ants are dredging it up, exposing it to air, moving the nutrients around. Okay. Just wow. by being ants. Um, really, really wild. So like when the top, like what was it? Inch of mm -hmm. topsoil is being generated. Mm -hmm. The ants have turned over the top two feet mm -hmm. of soil five times. Well, yes. <laughs> That's important, right? It's so much faster than the earth. Yeah. There's <laughs> I mean, a lot... that's, that was a very... <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's a lot going on, right? There's yeah. a lot There's a lot going on. But the So it gives you an idea of how like how much the the biological stuff is affecting like the rate at which these soil processes are happening. Um, another interesting thing about this on the earthworms, uh, there's been studies about native versus yeah. uh, the invasive earthworms. Um, Nicole, do you know some stuff about this? I mean, I know that it's really terrible. And like, yeah, a lot of our native earthworms are just, yeah, not doing good. Yeah. I wasn't going to bring it up because I was like, ah, but no, I'm no, glad no. you did. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, it, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's important. Yeah. Cause like these earthworms affect the, um, not only are they moving the soil, but they like actually affect the community, like the plant community that they're in as well. Um, one study they mentioned in this book talks about how they, uh, were growing big blue stem in pots and then like, um, putting native and then European earthworms in pots with these big blue stem uh, and found that the biomass in the native earthworm pots, uh, was far, far greater. So oh, like wow. whatever, whatever that they're doing in the soil the way that they are and the way that this plant is adapted to those earthworms, like they're like the earthworms are helping the plant meet its nutritional needs uh, in a way that European earthworms aren't. That's wow. crazy. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, very, very interesting. Don't throw out your live bait, please. Whether it's earthworm, crayfish or whatever. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Mm. A good PSA. Um, and this, this brings me to the last sort of thing I wanted to talk about. Because we have this soil ecosystem that is so closely linked to the place that it's in, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and the species of plants that exist there. It needs to be a factor when we're talking about restoration of an environment. Mm -hmm. is thinking about that soil ecosystem. Um, there's a paper that came out last year. That was a literature review of, uh, it was called Current and Future Perspectives on Microbially Focused Restoration Strategies in Tallgrass Prairies. Um, that's by Ellen Badger Hansen and uh, uh, I don't remember. 
it's by Badger Hansen and Doherty. Uh, and this paper looked at some of the work that's been done to study the ways that the microbial, the microbiome of a soil type uh, actually affects the ability of a plant to reestablish and or to have a, um, you know, to, to have a, a restoration project be successful. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, why look at this? Uh, they, they, they discuss how like the carbon storage in prairies, uh, especially in prairie restorations, um, it doesn't rebound completely. Okay. Um, we all know that like, you know, obviously we, we we're, by this point in the podcast, we're familiar with what happened with the tall grass prairie, right? It got tilled. It got turned into monoculture. Um, you know, the soil eroded. Uh, a lot of that that microbiome was cut through by plows and uh, and was damaged extensively. Mm-hmm. Trying to restore that, um, you can have a lot of success with it. But the the rate at which carbon storage happens in the soil doesn't always fully rebound. Like when we're looking at remnant prairies versus restored prairies, there's a difference there. And the difference is tied to that, uh, that microbiome, mm-hmm. like the microbial aspect of, uh, what's happening in the dirt. So, oh, yes. Could you help out that by like transporting soil from like the old site into like the new site yes that is one of the things that they do okay (gasps) so they do um they do what's called uh um they do uh so they have a couple different strategies they do inoculations which would be like specifically infecting uh i say infecting like it's a bad thing but like inoculating soils with certain types of bacteria that you'd hope to see there Mm -hmm. to see what happens um but they also do like whole soil transplants um I don't know why, like, <laughs> every time I think about this, I think of fecal transplants. That's what I was thinking, too. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad I wasn't the only one. <laughs> okay, yeah. But I was but thinking it, of that. Like, yeah, yeah you got to reestablish your healthy gut microbiome. Exactly. Like, it's the same concept. Like, a poop pill. Like, it's you the know. same concept, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but doing it, for, doing it for an ecosystem instead. Yes. Um, the fact that that's, like, a relatable <laughs> piece of, like, data to, like, point back to. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. For sure. Um, okay. So, but yeah, there are ways that they do try to intentionally restore microbes in a prairie. Um, and so that's what this paper looked at was how effective is all that being. Um, so one of the things that they were finding, uh, was that the microbiome, uh, affects a lot within a prairie, everything from the diversity, uh, to the, uh, like the successional progression, right? Uh, because, uh, you've got, Bacteria and you've got fungus, that mycorrhizal fungus, that have very specific relationships to plants uh, within a normal microbiome, right? It's evolved over huge, you know, a, a very long time scale to have very specific relationships. Um, so um, when they try to inoculate soil with specific kinds of uh, fungus or rhizobia, that's that like root bacteria, mm-hmm. um, it greatly increased the productivity of those plants. Okay. So like actually putting this bacteria or this fungus into the soil really, um, really increased the productivity of certain plants. However, the community effects then become a little bit harder to control because you're giving one particular plant a better competitive advantage because not every plant has that particular relationship with this bacteria or Uh, this fungus. Okay. Um, They did say that this can be finessed. I love that as a verb. (laughs) Finesse it. Uh, In a a field restoration though, because, uh, you know, they look at it in greenhouse studies. It's like, oh, we gave this plant, you know, the kind of bacteria it likes. It went crazy. In an actual field setting, it goes a little bit better because there are other pressures on the plant that keep it from just, you know, having a complete competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. So that's very fun. Uh, So inoculating is one way they do it. Um, 
there's some climate-driven studies or, or studies focusing on climate-driven changes, uh, specifically as it relates to drought. They found that inoculation was useful um, specifically and this, this kind of goes back to our Savannah's episode, they would specifically inoculate cool season C3 plants because mm. we talked about C4 plants being the ones that like when it gets very hot, they, you know, very hot, very dry, they tend to dominate because mm-hmm. they've got that special panic room photosynthesis <laughs> thing going on. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, they found that, yeah, if you inoculate the cool season plants, it does help them promote uh, be able to compete by giving okay. them the specific bacteria that they need helps them compete with those C4 plants. So um, could be an important thing for like the climate resistance of a prairie. Okay. Prevent it from completely changing. Wow. Yes. Um, whole soil transplants, like Nicole mentioned, from remnant prairies, um, they yield some, some varied results as well um, based on... Um, Again, and, and it might be because the microbiome of one specific prairie, you know, if we were to go, you know, to a remnant prairie up in, you know, Chase County or whatever and bring some dirt down here, mm-hmm. it might not be the quite the same composition. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, it might not have the exact intended effect, but it does, it does yield success in some situations. Um, I think the kind of what the issue they're looking at is that they they really need to do more work and the kind of the 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 conclusion of this paper was they need to do more work to really understand what's going on at the micro level in the mm-hmm. soil ecosystem because it like it's you know that is what's driving a lot of these interactions yeah it's really crazy um Soil amendments were another thing uh, because this is something you can always do, right? Um, a, we talk... a soil amendment is that a thing we're supposed to know about? Is that like a common phrase or? Um, I think we did. We talk about it a little bit in the native garden episode, maybe. Soil um, amendments. I mean, we should have, but like adding, like in a garden, you'd be like adding fertilizer, adding yeah. compost. That's oh, what that oh, means, okay. basically. It's just okay. yeah, improving the improving the and uh, and trying to yeah change change the composition of soil. Um, uh, there's a lot of different things they studied, um, and and looking at how it, it uh, changed the micro uh, the micro <laughs> and how it changed the microbial community. They would add stuff like biochar, which uh, mm-hmm. mimics the products of like a burn. Oh, oh, okay. um, and uh, that would um, improve the carbon storage. Um, to, to trying to see if like adding this stuff does it shift positively the diversity of a microbiome mm. uh there's one study in kansas where they added a bunch of sawdust at the start of a prairie <laughs> restoration and then found that uh, the microbial biomass uh really shifted in a positive direction from that um they add uh in some cases uh what's called methyl cellulose to uh, mimic like decomp like decomposition products okay um that also shifted things in a positive way so there's uh, a lot of things you can do um, to help the microbiome in soil by adding stuff to it. And that was also kind of like, you know, that was kind of a like the wrap up or like the bottom line of that soil science class I took was like, just add more organic matter to your soil. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, you know, is your soil not doing great? Add some dead stuff to it. Like, yeah. perfect. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, so that that also really helps. Um but it's an interesting it's an interesting part, right? So the it looking at that uh, that little tiny the really micro scale stuff that's happening in a prairie environment in a grassland environment is hugely essential to the restoration of the entire thing, right? Um, I just thought that was a very interesting perspective to take. Um, to make these kinds of restoration projects sustainable, you do have to think very small. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. Like it makes sense hundred percent, but I feel like it's definitely not something that is done very often. People just kinda throw out seeds and they're like, We did it. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, uh, right, yeah. There's <laughs> Prairie there's... restored. We see grass and some flowers. Yeah. yeah. 
and there's yeah it it might be a lot more complicated than that to get it truly back to like functional status you yeah. know what i mean um that's not a bad thing uh-huh it's <laughs> because we because because we know how to make it yeah. better yes it's just a matter and of actually doing it you know yeah we're under understanding more and more about the real ecology that's going on there yeah. you know yeah that's a good thing mm-hmm. um and so to conclude like this is why i think soil is so interesting to me okay is because like you have like like soil is like a it is like a ecological like microcosm right um you pick up like a soil aggregate okay of all that stuff glued together okay (laughs) bacteria (laughs) you pick up one of those and it's like you've got you've got like every domain every kingdom of life in there you have centuries of death and decay you have millennia of weathered rock and mineral okay you have nutrients that have been blasted out of the atmosphere by lightning (laughs) washed into soil by storms and then drawn back out of the ground by roots uh you've got a complete food web in there uh you know and it's just all like it's just it's all like right there you know like in this little kind of little little space right between you know like you know earth and sky you've got this little oop, this little soil layer and there's like so much going on there and it's yeah it's uh it's really interesting to think about um the, you know it changes the way like i look at nature in general is by thinking about you know from the ground up and mm-hmm. yeah that's kind of my deal so go look at some dirt um is it safe to touch it yeah <laughs> Don't may I'm don't eat it, mostly but like, kidding, but yeah, yeah, okay. just go like, yeah, go out there, get, get in some dirt, uh, get a look, tetanus shot, get a tetanus shot if you want, yeah, probably should keep current on that anyway, <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, go see what's in there, look at it under a microscope if you got one, there's some fun stuff in there, yeah, I love that, yeah, that was really beautiful. Well, thank you, Alan. I feel like I talked to you about dirt for so long. A and podcast episode list length. It was perfect. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, well, I have a lot of things to think about now. Thank you, Alan, and uh, thanks everybody else for listening. Uh, the Best Biome is produced by us uh, through our nonprofit Grassland Groupies, which is dedicated to inspiring the conservation of grasslands and now very much inspired to uh, conserving their soils. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, in our show notes, you can find our website and all the details you need to get a hold of us. Uh, if you enjoyed the show and want to support us, tell your friends about us and leave a review on Podchaser or Apple Podcasts. We could not do this without your support. Um, so we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bye.